Well, welcome to First Methodist Mansfield. So glad that you are here. If uh, we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here, and uh, thrilled to be able to share with you this weekend. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 where is where we're going to be uh, today. If you do not have your Bible with you, you can grab the blue Bible that we have available for you uh, in all of our worship spaces. You'll find Exodus 3 on page 89. Uh, if you brought your own Bible, it should be pretty easy to find second book uh, in the the Bible. As you can see, we had a really good time here uh, this week with over 750 kids present for Vacation Bible Camp. Uh, If you didn't learn anything else from that opening video, you learned that there are people in our church who can dance. And none of them are your pastors. So uh, there, that's, that's your proof right there. That was uh, my, uh, my son and I doing the, the whip and the nay-nay. I was told that if I did that, I would be more relatable. So we'll see how that works uh, tonight as we, uh, as we move through this message. 750 kids, 750 kids. That is an impressive number. But maybe more impressive than that is this. We had 441 volunteers who spent the week with Vacation Bible Camp. That is tremendous. Uh, 441 volunteers. I, I loved what Andrea, uh, our children's director, said on Friday night uh, at, at our last celebration. Uh, she said to anyone here who's looking for a church that loves kids, uh, after she asked all those volunteers to stand, she said, look around the room. This is a church uh, that love ki- loves kids. And so thanks for, thanks for being that living witness of that and the way uh, so many of you served uh, this week in Vacation Bible Camp. Uh, the other thing I want to point out before we dive into Exodus 3 in this new series is last week we finished up this series, uh, Big God, Big Heart. Uh, and in the course of that series, we talked about the why behind so much of what we do, this, this conviction that we have. Uh, we for many years have shared these wristbands. God is big enough, an expression of our faith, that God is big enough for any and all circumstances that we have. We added uh, these new bands and many people asked me over the last couple of weeks, hey, are we getting some smaller sizes? Because all we got was the adult sizes and the new black wristbands. Uh, and I can tell you they're on the way. We thought they were going to be here on Friday. They'll be here this week. Uh, but we did get some new blue bands uh, in the mail uh, this week. I was able to give some out to the kids uh, on Friday night. For the first time ever, we have toddler God is big enough wristbands, okay? So if you have uh, any little kids with little bitty wrists, uh, we have some of these. would love to give them those, and we'll have the black uh, Big God, Big Heart in that same size as well uh, starting next week. So we have three sizes now of these two wristbands. We've expanded our line uh, that we have here. Uh, they're free. Uh, pick them up uh, anytime. So we're beginning a brand new series uh, called Looking for Leaders, and I want to begin with a quote uh, from John Maxwell. If you don't know John Maxwell, he's written 10,000 books on leadership. Uh, Here's what he says about the importance of that. He says, everything rises and falls with leadership. Now, if you're taking any notes tonight, you might just underline uh, that word everything. That's the word that should give us a little bit of pause. The idea that not some things, not, uh, not many things, but everything rises and falls with leadership. Now, as you think about that bold claim, here's what I'll encourage you to remember. Uh, And to consider with me, I want to encourage you to think about how much you want to be led by good leaders. 
Uh, whether that's in the context of your workplace or, or in relationships or you think about those who are, serve as elected officials or those who are asked to serve in various roles in the institutions that support our life together, we all want to be led by good leaders. Now, we often disagree on what good leadership looks like, right? We often disagree on what a leader should do or how a leader should act, how they should behave. But even in that disagreement, in the passion that we share in our conversation around that, that within itself is a reflection of this idea that we believe leadership matters and we do believe in some ways that everything rises and falls with leadership. We all want to be led by good leaders. We want to have people in those roles who are worthy of the position, the authority that they have. And so over the course of these several weeks, we, we're beginning really with this idea that we live in a world that is looking for leaders. We live in a world that is looking for leaders. The people that you share life with every single day they have that same desire you have to be led by great leaders, to, to have people in their life who are influencing them in a positive way. All around you are people who are looking for leaders, and we want to bring this search and this desire that we have for great leadership, we want to bring that to the context of our faith and just ask ourselves, what does our faith teach us about this search for leadership? And what does it teach us as we think about how to make a positive impact on a world that is desperate for leadership? So in the first three weeks of this series, we're going to look at three leaders in the Bible. Uh, we're going to look at three different aspects of leadership that we learn from each of them. And in the last three weeks of this series, uh, I'm going to be gone on vacation. And I've uh, invited three leaders to come and share with you. The first is Reverend Gaston Warner. Gaston is the CEO of Zoe Ministry. Some of you know Zoe. Zoe is an organization that helps orphans in our world never need charity again. Uh, one of our most significant global ministry partners, Gaston, will be here uh, July 22nd and 23rd. The week after that, Reverend Ben Disney. He's our new district superintendent, uh, recently served as the senior pastor of Arborlawn United Methodist Church, a significant church uh, in the Fort Worth area. He'll be here the second week. And then in the third week, uh, a guy by the name of Reverend Mike Ramsdale will be here uh, to share uh, the first weekend in August. Uh, former senior pastor of this congregation and now now uh, working in the area of evangelism and church growth for churches all across uh, Central Texas. So that's kind of the structure of the series, but we're going to begin today by looking at the life of Moses. And we're going to dive in here in Exodus chapter 3, looking at a very famous scene, uh, and these first few verses really set that scene. So let me look at that uh, with you. Exodus 3 verse 1 says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought... I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he, Moses, had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. 
And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, just in case you haven't seen the movie, let me just catch you up on the details of what precedes this moment here, okay? So Moses uh, was born in Egypt, but if we go back a little bit further, the story really begins with a man named Joseph. Uh, Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob, uh, and Jacob ended up in Egypt. It's a long story, but he's got a musical, and you can read about it at the end of Genesis if you want to. Joseph ends up in Egypt. He becomes a really significant leader in Egypt, the right hand uh, of uh, right hand man of Pharaoh. And in response to a famine, Joseph relocates all of his eleven brothers, as well as his father Jacob, the Israelites at the time, to Egypt so that he can take care of them. When we get to the book of Exodus, what we read is that a new king has uh, risen over Egypt, a king many generations later who didn't know Joseph. He didn't know about what Joseph had done to save Egypt and to save the Israelites. And in the course of time, as the Israelites had grown, because the great name of Joseph was no longer remembered, or the exploits, a way in which he helped the people, the Israelites were seen not as welcome guests anymore. They had become a nuisance. And so Moses is born, and because Moses is born at a time where Pharaoh had decreed where all the the young male boys were to be killed, Moses' mother hides him in a basket, and she puts him in the river, and he is found by someone in the house of Pharaoh, an Egyptian, and he grows up as an Egyptian. He's, uh, he's an Israelite born, but he's Egyptian bred, if you will. He's been raised as an Egyptian. And in the course of his life, he becomes concerned about the treatment of the Israelites who are living in slavery in Egypt. And one day he comes across an Egyptian who is beating one of the Israelite slaves. Moses seeks to intervene. And in, the, and in what follows, Moses ends up killing the Egyptian leading Moses to to run away from his home, to leave everything that he had known behind to establish a new life here in Midian. Uh, He has since, as you've already seen from chapter 3, he has since uh, become married. He is now tending the flock of his his uh, uh, father-in-law Jethro when when he comes across uh, this bush uh, that is burning but doesn't seem to be consumed. So, so look at how God responds uh, as we move forward in verse 6. Uh, then uh, God said to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Are you impressed that I knew all those names? And now... The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians 
are oppressing them. Now, at this point, if you're Moses, I mean, this is a pretty incredible moment, right? I mean, you see this bush, it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. Moses goes over in order to inspect the bush, and then he hears a voice, an amazing moment. And yet, what Moses hears from the bush is an affirmation of a concern that Moses himself had had so long ago. A concern that, that was uh, of such significance in Moses' life that he had acted on that concern. He'd found himself doing something that he had regretted doing. He'd had to leave the home, the only home that he had ever known to build a whole new life because of the concern that God was raising. And so if you're Moses and you're listening to this, he must have been thinking at this point, well, I think this is a great idea, God. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you have heard the concern. I mean, I really wish you would have heard it a little bit earlier. I, I also had that concern. I had to leave my home. I mean, better late than never, they always say, right? But, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing it now. Moses must have been pretty pleased because God, God was finally going to act upon the concern that Moses had had so long ago that it forced him to leave behind the only life that he had ever known. This sounds pretty good so far. And then we get to verse 10. And God says this, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, did you follow along with, with what happened there? Were, were you paying attention? I'm not sure Moses was. Were you paying attention? Because what, what happened was the voice said, I am coming down and I have heard the cry and I know the suffering and I know the need and so now I'm going to act. And then you get to verse 10 and God says, so now go. I am sending you. Look, look, at this, look at this movement. We're here at verse 8. So I have come down. And verse 10. So now go. I am sending you. I mean, if you're Moses, you're thinking, wait a second. I thought you were going to kind of take the lead here. I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused. Uh, it's, you, you've come down. So I now, so, so I now, I now go. I have come down. So now you must go I am sending you. So let's pause uh, and let me just share with you a couple observations so far. As we think about leadership and, and we think about what we can learn about leadership from the life of Moses and from this, this moment here in the, in the very beginning when he hears the voice of God speaking to him about this concern that God has and God is asking Moses to respond to that concern. The, here's the first observation, that some things never change. Have you ever heard that statement before? Some things just never change. Some things just never change. One of the things that you may hear uh, people say at times is that the world that we live in today is so radically different from the world of those whose lives are recorded in this book that maybe this book doesn't really have anything to say about our life today. I mean, the world's different, right? I mean, 
the world of Moses, the world of the ancient Israelites, and, and the world of Jesus, the first century world, the Roman world in which Jesus was, I mean, that was a world that was totally different than the world in which we live. And there's some truth to that, right? I mean, this is a dramatically different world that we live in today, especially when you think about just the last several hundred years and the way in which the world has changed, the way in which technological advancements have transformed the way in which we think about life, the, the way in which we live out our lives, the, the length of, of time at which our lives last. There's so much that is different about our world today. There are some who would say, well, what can we learn? from this book, these words that were written so very long ago? Is it possible that maybe these don't have anything to say to the world that we live in today? But there's one common denominator. I wanna give you a little history lesson here. This will blow your mind, I promise you. There's one common denominator between the world we live in today, this modern technologically advanced world we live in today and the world of Moses the world of Jesus, and the world of all the others who we read about in the Bible. You might want to write this down because this will blow your mind. Here it is. Both worlds contained people. There you go. There's your history lesson. Both worlds contain people. They contain people just like you and just like me. People who had hopes and dreams. People who had faults and failures and who knew who knew their faults and knew their failures, people who had aspirations and, and hopes for how the world might change, and, and people who experienced discouragement because the world seemed to always be the same. If you have any doubt that the world we live in was filled with the same kind of people that the world uh, of the Bible uh, tells us, just spend some time reading the Psalms. Listen to the, the writers of those ancient poems and, and songs as they speak about the, uh, all the, the, the wide spectrum of the human experience, as they speak about fear and loss and grief and aspirations and dreams. Some things never change. And one of the things that we can see as a consistent theme, not only in the scriptures, but also in our world today, is that leadership matters. Leadership matters in the life of Joseph and the way in which he rose to a place of prominence and was able to save two nations because of the effectiveness of his leadership. And here now, there is a, there is a problem that needs to be addressed, and, 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 and there, there's a world here that is, that is looking for leaders. Some things never change. But the other observation that you might make is this, that God believes in leadership. God believes in leadership. And this is the one that is really, when you think about it, a bit surprising to us. That God believes in leadership. Because in this moment here, as well as uh, what we can see as a consistent pattern in, this pattern in the scriptures, what we find is that God intentionally chooses to do God's work through God's people. And that's a little mind-blowing to us because guess what? We know people, right? Like we know the great things that people can do and yet we also know the ridiculous things that people can do. 
We know our own frailties. We know our own faults. And so there's a part of us that we come to a, an idea like this and we think, well, I don't, I don't know why he does this, but, but yet this is what's affirmed over and over again in the scriptures throughout the biblical narrative. And, and in our life today, we see it over and over again that when God chooses to do God's work, God chooses to do that work through God's people. That God believes in leadership. And God consistently turns to those who he calls to be leaders, to, to, to bring the change that God longs to see in the world. What God is doing in the life of Moses, we know that God has done in the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of others calling them from a life uh, uh, where they were wandering to a life of meaning and purpose where they were called to lead dramatic change that forever changed the world. God actually believes in leadership. And so just as uh, the world looks for leaders, so we find here in Exodus chapter 3, God is also looking for a leader. This is, a, this is a pattern that we see here in Exodus chapter 3, verses 8 and verses 10, but it's also one that we see over and over again in our world today, that one of the ways that God comes down is when he enters into the life of those and says, so now go, I am sending you. I am coming down, so now go, for I am sending you. So let's look now at uh, Moses' uh, beautiful acceptance speech of this great honor that he has been given by God. Here we go, chapter, uh, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God's coming down, I've heard the cry. I've heard the cry, so now go, I am sending you. And, and Moses says, um, maybe somebody else, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, you might notice that Moses doesn't say, you know, you've heard some false rumors, God. It's really no big deal. Everybody's doing fine in Egypt. You don't have to worry about them. He doesn't deny the reality that God has shared with him. He knows it as well as anyone else. What Moses can't see is the role that he might play in bringing about the change that God longs to see. Anyone want to take a guess at what's wrong with the world? Yeah, everybody shoots their hands up, right? I, I have an opinion. Who, who wants to do something about it? Oh, I don't know. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should go and, uh, and share with him? Who am I that, that God would call me? Who am I that God would use me? Who am I that God would, would, would work in my life? Who am I that I could, I could have any influence on anyone else? Who am I, God, that you should call me, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? The bottom line uh, for the beginning of this series and really the bottom line of this entire series, the thing that I want to challenge you with uh, over the course of these weeks as I'm sharing with you and I want to challenge you with as we look at this topic of leadership uh, is this, that while the world is looking for leaders, the leader God is looking for might be you. 
I mean, this part we know, right? I mean, you look around. We know that people, people want to be led by good leaders. They want to be influenced by people of, of conviction and integrity. We, we know that. So we feel that ourselves. But what is often surprising is that the leader God is looking for, it just might be you. It just might be you. Because all around you are people who are looking for someone who will be a positive influence in their life, someone who will be an encouraging influence in their life, someone they can count on, someone who, who, whose word is something they can trust. All around you are people who are looking for help, who, who may not be uh, really comfortable asking for it, but it's there. They want to know that somebody cares about them. They want to know that someone hears them. They want to know that, that there's someone who, who, who worries about them and shares the same fears and concerns that they have. All around you, every single day, are people who are looking for leaders. And the leader that God might be looking for is you. Now, if you think to yourself, well, I have a few excuses. I'm not sure it's me. Just keep reading, okay? Uh, start at Exodus 3, uh, verse 11. Go all the way to Exodus 4, 13. The entire rest of chapter 3 and the first 13 verses are all of the excuses that Moses has for why God should not use him. And at the very end, Exodus 4, 13, this is what Moses ends up saying. When he's out of excuses, he finally says to God, God, please send someone else. I've got no more excuses. I can't think of anything else to say. Just don't send me. Maybe you've got some excuses in your mind. Well, that's not me. I, there, I can't talk. I can't influence. That's not me. I don't know what you're talking. Use all the excuses that you want. Come to the end of the road. Say, God, please send someone else. Or maybe you would even think to yourself, well, you know, Moses had a burning bush. That's helpful. Why won't God do something like that in my life? I just want to, if, if a burning bush said it, I would do it, right? Well, let me end with a question. A question that I think is really one of the mysteries of this encounter. The question is this. How long had this bush been burning? How long had that bush been burning? How many times might Moses just have walked right on by? How many times might God have been hoping that Moses would take notice of the presence that was in his life and the passion that God had planted in his heart and the longing that he was afraid to respond to? How long had that bush been burning? And is it possible that there is already a burning bush in your life and you just haven't seen it yet? In a few weeks, you're gonna to get to hear from Gaston Warner. You heard me say that earlier. Uh, Gaston leads a ministry that to date has reached over 34,000 orphans in our world. This year alone, they will graduate more than 10,000 orphans from their three-year empowerment program. It's incredible numbers. 
But the story of Zoe begins not with a grand, amazing plan of how lives might be transformed. It begins with a pastor named Greg and a teenage girl in his church who said to him one day, I think I want to go to Africa. And Greg said, you're crazy. <laughs> Greg ended up taking that trip with that young girl in his church. And in response to that, Greg left the pastoral ministry to begin something brand new because of the faith that he had seen in the life of this, this young woman because she had seen a burning bush and she'd shared it with him. And when Greg uh, started the program, didn't really know what he was doing, he'd be happy to tell you that himself, until he met a, a, a woman named Epiphany in Rwanda who had survived the genocide and who was working to rebuild her nation and had come up with this empowerment idea to help people who were living in poverty actually come to a place where they would never need charity again. Lives change when people see the burning bush that's in their life. And they realize that while everyone else around them may be looking for a leader, that the leader that God is looking for is actually right there. And what I want to challenge you with is, is it possible there's already a burning bush in your life? And that God is inviting you to, to step into a way of thinking about your life that's totally different than how you thought about it before. That you might be the one that God is calling to be a leader. To bring about a change that has been planted in your own heart. That up until now you've thought, well, someone should do something about that. And perhaps it's the Spirit of God knocking, saying, maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. I have come down, God says. So now go, for I am sending you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, so often we know that what we really need to pray for is courage. For we know, Lord, that in the, in the world in which we live, there are things that are not as they should be. And we know, Lord, that you have hopes and dreams for not only our lives, but the lives of each and every person who inhabits this world. We all know, Lord, how important leadership is, and we sometimes, Lord, just find ourselves at a place of despair because we want more. We feel like we need more. And yet so infrequently, Lord, do, do we consider that maybe Maybe it's us. Maybe you are calling 
Maybe there's already a bush that's burning and we need to say yes. And so even as we pray, Lord, for for good things to occur in our world, would you help us, Lord, to see the ways in which we might, in fact, be the answers to those prayers. All these things we ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.